You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. All right. Praise God. Uh, one of the things that we happened during the first service is um, if you are watching online, which probably I'm, I'm assuming you weren't, but we had a glitch, power outage, boom, and heard a pop and everything like that. And what had happened is, what was this, during the second song, the last song? I'm not even sure. It was the last song that it was, as well as so that you're aware online we have a glitch, uh, had a glitch, I should say, during first service. Uh, one of the things is, is that all of a sudden, you know, just the the praise that came forth from that just began to come forth. And I thought it was actually a good thing. I've always said this as a pastor, that sometimes we just need to go unplugged so that we see what the strength of the worshipers in the congregation, because sometimes we only look at worship that happens on the stage rather than actually what's going on in the congregation. And so we think worship is something that just comes up here. But this is why they're called praise and worship leaders. They're not just the praise and worshipers while you just all are spectators. You can be a spectator of worship, of worship, but that doesn't mean that you're actually a participator of worship. And so when this happened, uh, I was like, hallelujah. All of a sudden, you just heard the congregation go up because we're used to being blasted by the speakers that are coming forth. So you hear everybody, you know, and that whole thing. And then all of a sudden, boom, it goes like this. And then you hear the strength of the congregation. I was like, yes. Because usually in situations like this, you know, if you were at a concert or something, everybody would be picking their nose like, what's going on? How come the sound just went out? What's going on, man? What's going on? Come on, Gabe. What's going on? Media, what's going on? You know, and every, but when you saw that, when I saw that, I thought, hallelujah. It shows the strength of you guys as worshipers in the house of God. That it's actually, the sermons are actually working inside of you. So <laughs> I'm so happy about that. So really, and, 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 and usually first services, and pastors won't tell you this, first services are usually the rough ones. Uh, sometimes it's due to the Democrat, uh, Democrats. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. I, I did not mean to say that. I meant to say demographics. <laughs> Democrats. <laughs> We're running live, brother. <laughs> I meant the demographics, <laughs> the demographics, of course, the first service is usually the older ones like me. And so, you know, they're the, sometimes people can come in here, but I, I have to say it's not so within this house. I mean, sometimes we have that first service and I mean, it's a bust through and, you know, traditionally second service is all the, usually the young ones. So they're full of zeal. They wake up late. So that's why they're here. They're not during here during first service. And so it's usually a more wild and that type of thing. So sometimes the culture between the two services, but all this happened during the first service, right? So when you saw the strength of this during the first service, it tells me that mm, we got a house full of worshipers. And so this is really a congratulations and an encouragement to you guys, because certainly if this was in the first service, it's amongst you in the second service. Amen. So really, I just want to kind of give you that kudos and kind of explanation point that uh, it's good to be with a group of people that understand what true worship is all, all about. And everyone says and before we get into this also. Another thing is someone had asked me, pastor, are you going to do like a 12 series? 
you know, 15 series, you know. <laughs> and I could tell by the way they're, <laughs> I was like, yes, I, I probably need to shorten them up or something like that. So, but, but because, here's the thing. So we're going to do something a little bit different uh, because I still have things in worship. We still got to get to the Old Testament. We have to look at heaven. We have to look at Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, which showed Lucifer, you know, Satan now, but beforehand, the atmosphere of heaven. He was a worship leader. We haven't explored in all those things. So what I thought during this uh, first part, worship him. If you notice, the emphasis isn't about lip service. Remember what Jesus said about Isaiah. It says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far away. So if you notice in this first part, I've been dealing with heart issues. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to transition to flowing in the anointing. How many know that there's actually uh, minstrels that you can actually prophesy on instruments? There's actually anointings that come in. We see that when minstrels in the Old Testament came forth, we know the prophet, for example, he asked for a minstrel and it began to play the uh, prophetic anointing and prophecy would begin to come forth. So there are actually flows of the Holy Spirit that come. So what we're going to do is we're going to segue from the heart issues into flowing in the anointing. So I'm not a good titles persons of sermons. So what I requested and asked during the, the first service, especially maybe those of you who are on YouTube, why don't you suggest to me ter- sermon, title, uh, sermon titles for the next one? I was thinking like instruments, music, and flowing in the anointing. But I'm kind of that type of a type of guy. So here's what someone said. Someone said, how about jam session two? <laughs> jam session. So obviously this came from a young one. Right. Someone said garage band update. (laughs) So what I want you to do is I want you to get on the YouTube and post what you think my next sermon title will be. And there's probably going to be so many good ones, but, you know, um, we'll have to, you know, we'll look at that and, and, and you thumbs up it and like it and all that. So what'd you think of those first two? Should I use those or we'll, uh, we'll wait to the end of the end and we'll release what that's going to be. So please tell me uh, what you think it should be. And everyone says, all right. So this is worship him part five, last one until we go into the next series, which whatever that sermon title will be. And so we want to look at this and continue on. Uh, In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this has kind of been the golden text, if you will, with regards to worship. And we want to wrap this part up. I want to give you three important points with regards to this here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, notice this, as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. Uh, some people, they want to, they're willing to die for the Lord. Just, I'll be a martyr. Well, that's easy because once you're dead, you're in his glory. It's more difficult to be a living sacrifice. That means you got to live 80 plus score years here on planet Earth. It's easy to say, oh, can I just be a martyr for you? Because then you don't have to put up with the headache of what's going on tomorrow. Okay? But true spiritual people will present themselves not as dead sacrifices, but as living sacrifices. Okay, so it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Notice this holy and pleasing to God. Notice this. This is your true. And as we've been saying, if there's true, that means there's fake. And it says proper. And if that's to say that there is proper, that means there is improper worship. So here's the first point. Number one, true worship hinges from the perspective of God's mercy. True worship hinges from the perspective of God's mercy. What book is this written in that the Apostle Paul? It's the book of Romans. What is the book of Romans? The book of Romans is a book of righteousness. It's a book of righteousness. 
The first 11 chapters in this book is dealing with our righteousness, but not our righteousness, Christ's righteousness. It's been his imputed righteousness that when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see you. He sees Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Okay, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see you in your imperfections. He sees the perfection of Christ on the inside of you. This is why you have to understand here. I believe it's in chapter three. There is none that is righteous, not even one. There is not anyone who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All say all. All have turned away and together become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. So we have to understand that while we were yet sinners, not saints, while we were yet sinners, while we were at enmity or we were enemies of Christ, he died for us. Okay, so the righteousness that we have is not an righteousness that you've gained through approvals. It's because of Christ and his sacrifice and what he uh, accomplished and purposed in the cross. And that's again, this is why I say when he looks at you. When the father is looking at me, he sees Christ inside of me. So it's his righteousness inside of me. While I was yet his enemy, he died for me. That shows the great outstanding love that he has for us. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. I quoted it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's interesting here in Romans chapter 12, verse one Notice at the first, it says, therefore. Now, how many know that in language, if there's a therefore, we would have to know what preceded this particular passage of scripture in order to understand the context of what the therefore is. Correct? This actually follows up on what's called a doxology. So we have uh, all, this, the, the, all these chapters dealing with the righteousness of Christ and what he's done and what he's purposed and what he has accomplished and that we've received him. And then it comes to this climax, this crescendo of what's called a doxology, a praise, a high praise of God in which he says this in uh, chapter uh, 13, ex- excuse me, in chapter 11, in chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God, exclamation point. How unsearchable his judgments and the paths beyond tracing out. And then he continues on with this. In other words, on the back of the righteousness of Christ, he begins to say, you're just out of this world. It's unbelievable. It's unsearchable. I don't get it. Why would you do this to mere mortals, mere man? Who are we that you're so mindful? Not that he's saying those things, but this is kind of the expression of what's coming out of his heart. And therefore, on this high praise doxology goes, therefore, in consequence of this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, a view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. One translation says it this way. This is your reasonable service. In other words, what he is requesting as we offer ourselves as a sacrifice is not unreasonable. It's reasonable. When we say we're like Jesus, this is precisely what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go to the cross and sit there and make a statement and state that it was something that was unreasonable. Come on, are you here? So we have here this idea that. Number two, which leads me to this point. Number two, we don't worship to secure God's approval, but we worship as a consequence of his approval. 
Let me state that again. We don't worship to secure God's approval, but we worship as a consequence of his approval. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, as we just read, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why is this important? Because it comes to point number three. You must be a servant to understand reasonable service. In order to understand what reasonable service is, you have to understand you're a servant. Now, notice that being a servant is upon the foundation of worship. It doesn't come before worship. Otherwise, you'll look to justify your righteousness through your service. You see that? So only living sacrifices that are dead can now become a servant. This is why you have to understand you're not first a servant of God. You're first a son and a daughter of God. Servants is upon the understanding of your relationship. You don't reverse the order. You're not first a servant of God and then a son of God. You're first a son of God, a daughter of God, and then a servant of God. Now, pay careful attention. Jesus, when he's baptized and he comes up out of the water, what was said? The father said, this is my beloved servant. This is my beloved prophet. This is my beloved preacher. This is my beloved fivefold minister. This is my beloved miracle worker. This is my beloved whatever said gift, leadership, mercy, giving, etc. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Why is he well pleased? He never did any ministry. The only ministry was him being a son. Because it was at the point of the baptism that initiated him coming into ministry. And the first miracle he did was the miracle of turning the water into wine at Canaan, which happened after the fact. In fact, he had to be tempted, right? And in so doing, there was a testing that came to him before he was actually released into ministry. So my point is, is his service. There was no service, but he was a son, but he took upon reasonable service. So servanthood comes upon your being a son and a daughter. Okay, you don't reverse the order. Why is that? Because if you never come and present yourself as a living sacrifice, what will happen is you will seek. What do he say? This is my beloved service and whom I'm well pleased. You'll seek the approval through what you do rather than who you are. So if you're a preacher, you'll seek the applause of men. Whatever gifting or you'll try to merchandise your gifting for your own purposes and try to make ministry happen your own way rather than submitting to him. Because when you present yourself living, that also means everything that he put inside of you becomes subject to him. That means every gift, the anointing, everything becomes subject. This is why I've always said and this principle is for all Christians to understand that we are never owners. We're only stewards. Even the gifts that God gave you, you're not an owner of them. You're a steward of them. I use the example when God called us over. We wanted to steward our gift over in Southeast Asia. We had relationships there. That's where the move of God we felt was at at the time. But when the Holy Spirit spoke and said, will you go to the cross? Meaning Santa Cruz, which means Holy Cross. When we knew he was calling us back here, we have a decision that we could have to make. 
It's where our will, which was taking traction, ministry was happening, doors were opening up, it looked woohoo, great. But then the Holy Spirit says, will you go to the cross? Why would I want to go there? That's where my will and his will begin to intersect. And at that point is where I have to become a worshiper. Do I make ministry happen the way I think it should be done? Or do I follow his leading and do I steward the gift that he ultimately gave me rather than me taking ownership of my own gift? And this is where you have worship service. Come on. When we had finally made a decision, we wept. And you've heard the story many a times from behind. <laughs> God tell us to go back. That was a worship service. Those were cries of tear that happened at a worship service. Why? Because we wanted to do it our way. Lord, we're most effective here. We got bigger crowds. We preach in Bible colleges that are four times the size of this church. Come on. I mean, don't you know we can maximize our efforts and we can produce much more fruit? Yeah, but if we're pro pro uh, producing fruit in another place where he never called us, then we're not a steward, we're an owner. And we live in a church culture that loves to merchandise giftings. I mean, even in the house, I mean, oh, wow, great praise and worship leader. Hey, can we? And we love, we, we've created hirelings in the house of God. Because we're like unspiritual Simon Cowles in the church looking for the next X factor. Oh, I like that gift. Let's offer that person a position. In order to get people and we merchandise it. And listen, when you've never gone through the process and you've never come to true worship, this is why I say we live in a nation of false worship. Just because the lights are bright, just because the sound is real good, just because there's nice comfortable padding, and just because there's smoke that comes from the stage does not mean that's worship. That can be counterfeit. Are you here? Did you know in the church, you know, I keep my pulse and what's the latest. Did you, in those that are what I would call within the church, how many know pastors actually create culture in a church? They create culture. One of the things in one particular church that I won't state what it is, they've changed the names and actually in their leadership, they correct people in the congregation to where if they don't even say worship service, they say worship experience. Now, listen to me very carefully. I don't necessarily have a problem with that because, you know, terminology can mean a lot of things. But the, the framing of words in rhetoric, you always have to ask questions. Why is that? Now, certainly in a worship service, if you presented yourself as a living sacrifice, how many know you're going to have an experience? So there's really nothing wrong with that. Okay. However, how many know you can have an experience, but it's not a spiritual experience. It's an emotional experience. How many also know worship at its core isn't about your experience, but it's about him. Come on, are you here? How many know this is our reasonable service? So it's about our duty as a servant. So I'm not there to have an experience. I'm there to offer a reasonable service. You see the difference? Come on, I, I had a lot more amens in the first one. You're just kind of processing it a little bit slower. The building's heated up some, so I know it can't be because you're cold. <laughs> that means for those of you that you serve in the various departments, 
You come here early in the morning, it's freezing. What was it? I mean, it was like 30 degrees or whatever it was. And you come in here like this and you're there and you're, you, you come here and this is, this is your act of worship. When you're coming in here like, let's turn the, did you know you're in the middle of a worship service? Because you're coming in, this is your, for those in the media, for those who are here in praise and worship, for those who care for the kids, the connections teams, all the various departments, when you come and you're serving, guess what? This is a reasonable service. Listen, that's what God sees and he's well pleased with you. The worship service didn't start when you were singing. It started when you came in through those doors and you officiated in your duties. That was a worship. And that's by which God was looking at and saying, mm, I'm getting drunk off this. You say, how do I know that? Because of what happens right after Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is powerful. Oh, we're going to get to it. I, I, I'm preempting this. It says, oh, here, let's get to it. Chapter 12, verse 4. I don't have it. My apologies. But verse 4 through 8 says this. So notice he talks about living sacrifice. Then he actually begins to talk about your gifts, how you serve in the body, how you serve Jesus, which is his body. It says, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is then giving, then give generously. If it is to lend or excuse me, lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Isn't it interesting that he begins to bring this forth? There's this doxology. Wow. Unbelievable. Here's your reasonable service. Oh, by the way, he gives giftings. I also will say this. The reason why I understand or have an insight that we live in a culture that has fake worship is because we don't even recognize gifts and grace upon people anymore. Because you have to present yourself as a living sacrifice. And at the point in which you, that's when you get revelation into people's lives. Yes. That's when you get an insight into gifts and grace. He says, by the grace given to me, this is what I do. When was it? When he offered himself as a living sacrifice. I'm shocked at the lack of discernment in the body of Christ. And I'm fully convinced it's because we truly haven't come to a place, oftentimes, not all the times, in which we haven't offered ourselves as a living sacrifice. Because when you're dead, that's when you become alive in him. When you are dead, that's when your spiritual senses are heightened. When you've died and you've presented yourself, you begin to see gifts and graces inside of people. And you'll actually have what the secular world calls epiphanies. You'll see somebody and you'll see them in their capacity. This is why we are to raise up disciples. Why? Because we have an insight in what their capacities are. God gives all these things. Come on, are you here? This is why in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, after he's baptized, he's getting ready to do ministry. He's up on a mountain and he's tempted by the enemy. And what did Jesus say? It says, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. You cannot divorce worship and service. You can't do it. That's a perversion of what worship is. And unfortunately, as an American culture, we've divorced it. And therefore, that's why worship has become a perversion. And it's entertainment based and me centered. 
We never think about a worship service as when he says, will you go to the cross? Because I had no one playing in the D minor when that word came to me. I didn't have Henry playing that electric guitar when that word came to me. I didn't have Emily singing to her. Woo, I felt the anointing when she came with the song of the Lord. Come on, are you here? That was powerful. I didn't have all these things. Oh, I'm feeling the anointing. No, it came while I was in a flat praying. It was cold. It actually was hot, but in the room, it was nice and cool there. And the amenities were nice that way, but it's like we had a little, was a little thin foam mattress. That was the only furniture that we had. Pacing the floor back and forth. And the word comes that way. I've had the word of the Lord come at different times. I've said this before. I don't, and I don't know. Ask God. I don't know why. He will speak to me in the shower. I don't know. Maybe I'm all relaxed and I'm ready to hear something at the top of the day. And all of a sudden he'll speak something. And I'm like, oh, I don't know why. That's a worship service right there. How I respond to him. How do you respond? You see, we make the assumption that the only time that he speaks to us is during the time of song service during a time in a building. That's not the only time. The worship service really begins when your will and his will begins to intersect. Not when you open your mouth and sing up sweet lullabies that are romantic to him and to you. Come on, are you here? This is a marriage that we have with him. Okay. And sometimes we just want to create this romanticism. This is why I say it's possible that it can be something in which you have an experience but is it an emotional experience? Is it just a romantic experience? Worship is not about, it's not me-centric. It's theocentric. It's about him. It's recognizing the beauty of his holiness, not my greatness. Some of you get that by next week. Come on, are you here? That must be for somebody online. So let's go on. In the book of Luke, the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And again, this is going with duty. Increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. And it will what? It will obey you. Now, how many have heard teachings on this? I've heard it. Did you know that it actually goes beyond this? It actually goes beyond this. And he actually tells us a story. Because he doesn't want us to just understand the mechanics of faith. He wants us to understand the motivation of faith. Did you just hear what I just said? That was deep right there. He doesn't want you to just. And the problem is, is we come to just teach me the mechanics of it. One, two, three. What are the principles? It becomes principle driven. But how many know God's all about your heart? So it's not just about the principles, but it's about what's internally inside of you. Okay. It's about your motivation. So now watch this. This is what says in verse seven. Suppose one of you has a what? Servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant uh, when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and I drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Continues on in verse nine. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you say, so you. Here's the principle. So you also, when you have done everything you are told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty or reasonable service. Again, overlaying servant. It's not that we're, 
we have this worm theology. Oh, I'm so unworthy. But it's about the principle of overlaying duty and responsibility or as Romans chapter 12, verse one are reasonable. It's not unreasonable what he's asking. Did you have to die for your own sins? Did you have to have a crown of thorns placed upon your head? Did you have to be scourged? Did you have to be whipped? Did you have to be reviled in that capacity and then put up on a cross? No, you didn't. And he led the pattern. So how many really want to be like Jesus now? And follow the way in which he came into the garden and he had a worship service. Not my will, but your will be done. And then he was strengthened. Strengthened for what? To do the will of the Father. Come on, are you here? Now in Mark chapter 5, this faith that we see. Notice this. It says, when he saw. Okay, this is talking about that madman of Gadara. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, notice this. He ran and did what? Worshipped him. Watch this. This is powerful. Okay, we talked about this a little bit in the very beginning of the series. But I wanted to show you something to make it really pop. It says, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now watch this. Was that the man speaking? No, it was not. It was the spirit inside of the man. Okay. But who came and worshiped him? It was the man. At the place of worship, when you truly come to a place of worship, your issues will be dealt with. It wasn't his faith that set him free. It was his worship. You see, because when you come and you truly become a living sacrifice, God will deal with your issues. That's the reason why Christians still live with their issues because they never truly come to a place of worship. Did you hear what I said? Because when you come and you truly worship him and you present yourself as a living sacrifice, God will begin to deal with your issues. Now, notice what it says. I implore you by God, do not torment for he had said. To him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. When did that happen? Probably when the man fell down in worship. So Jesus was moved and provoked because of the man's worship, not because of his faith. But do you see how faith and worship work together? And of course, we know the story. He ends up getting free. And when he gets up ending free, you know what he ends up doing? He ends up begging to follow Jesus. That's that's the kind of beggar you want. Beggars that will after follow. Why? Because they engaged and had a real worship service. When all the other people out in the town, we know the story. When he cast out the spirits, what ended up happening? Ended up going into the pigs. The pigs end up going over the cliff. The people from the town end up coming out. What ends up happening? Once they come out of the town and they begin to see him and he's in his right mind, what do they do? They end up wanting to get rid of Jesus. The very people that you would have thought that would have thought, hey, What did you just do? How did this happen? We've been trying to help this man. We've been trying to tie him up, doing everything, and we failed. I don't know about you, but it should have been those people that wanted to follow Jesus. But they liked their religion. They loved their life. Please don't interrupt my world, and we certainly don't want to have a worship service. Come on, are you here? Now, in the book of Matthew, again, behold, a leper came and worshiped him. Saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Stop right there. Notice right here that it wasn't the man's faith that healed him. 
Now, initially, it would have been faith that drove him to him. Why? Because Jesus was already healing lepers. So he would have probably heard the testimonies. Hey, here's this man. His name is Jesus. Many believe he's the Messiah, and they're getting healed. So he goes to Jesus himself, and he's not doubting his ability. He's doubting his willingness. You see, you can believe God's a good God for other people. You can believe that God will take care of other people. But when it comes to you, I'm not sure about that. Even in the church. Oh, we serve a God of miracles. Everybody. There's not a church that I know of that says, no, God's not a God of miracles. I mean, I don't care if they're orthodox, they're reformed. I don't care if they're way over to here at this end, whether they're spirited and filled and they're over on the extreme charismatics and everything in between. Even your, 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 your what do you call it? The cessationist, even they. God's a God of miracles, just not today. I don't know of anybody, any pastors, any leaders that would say, no, we don't serve a God of miracles. No matter how extreme they may be. Yet we see here, what's the question? His willingness with him in the moment. Now watch this. When does he get revelation that it's actually God's will for him in that moment at the place of worship? Because that's the question that he has. Behold, a leopard came and worshipped him. Before he asked the question. Sometimes we don't come to the place of worshiping him. We just want our answers question, our, our, our questions answered. Just give me an answer. How come? Why? And we live in a griping rather than in a thanksgiving. But before you ask your question, did you ever take into consideration? Why don't you offer yourself as a living sacrifice? And be prepared. Here's the thing. Be prepared for his answer because it may be an answer you don't like. Such as, why don't you go to the cross? Go to a place you may not want to go. And it seems to be right in your eyes. And, you're, and listen, you see, sometimes we make it a, a, a sin, something about commission. Like, you know, you went out and stole and you went out and do these. But there's actually sins of omission. You hear it, but nah, I, don't, I want to do it my way. And they actually could be good plans. Like, I'm going to stay in Southeast Asia and still do ministry, still cast out devils, heal the sick, preach the gospel, get people saved. All these wonderful things. It's good things. It's not bad things. I don't know about you, but I want to stand before the Lord and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did my will. Not you executed on your will because you were an owner of your own gifting, trying to plot out your own plans and purposes for your own life. And that's the problem. It was never my life, even though you said that it was actually your life. I know this type of preaching isn't popular. I understand that. Especially in our American culture. It's like, huh? I, this is in the Bible? Yeah, it's called discipleship. Jesus didn't just say, come follow me. He said, anyone wants to follow me, he has to deny himself, pick up his cross, then follow. Before you get, everybody wants to follow, but they never like that first two parts. They only like the third ingredient. Give me the third ingredient, Lord. Well, but there's three ingredients to discipleship. And I, I don't like the two. I don't want to deny my soul life to pick up your life. I don't want to present myself as a living sacrifice. Just, I want to follow you. Can't I follow you? So we, that's the easy believism is they only hijack the third ingredient. They don't like all three ingredients. You need all three ingredients to make that bread, my friend. You need flour, water, and salt. You need it. To follow discipleship, you need the three ingredients. But we always emphasize just the third. Just come and follow Jesus. 
But this is why we got a bunch of riffraffs and demonized people in the church. And the end of this is going to be weird doctrines accommodate the weirdness and the devils inside of people. That's why I have a church that doesn't set free with all these cultural issues that we have within the society that I don't even need to talk about. Because the church hasn't had an answer because people haven't come to the place to where they've offered themselves as a living sacrifice, which is their reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. Come on, are you here? Then Jesus put out his hand, touched him, saying, What I am willing be cleansed immediately, his leprosy cleansed. And as I stated, there's two healings, physical healing. But greater than the physical healing was actually the inner healing that happened. Healing of the brokenhearted. That's a ministry of Jesus. He came to heal the brokenhearted. This man was healed in his heart at that moment. Why? Because no one touched him. In fact, when people looked at him, they ran the other way. So he's one who suffered rejection throughout his life. Whenever he had to enter into a territory or whatever, he had to sit there and say unclean while everybody grabbed their kids and scurried away from the dirty man. So listen, he could be cleansed, but that, doesn't, that, that was actually the minor miracle. The greater miracle was he was set free from a mindset of leprosy. You see, leprosy doesn't just, is not just physical on the outside. It, it, it framed his world. So now, because of this, you see, you can be set free from leprosy physically, but that, and now you actually can now incorporate yourself and be a blessing to society. He can go out and fill out job applications and he can go look for a job and because he's no longer unclean. But how many know you can be full of leprosy, but be, be clean from leprosy, but still have thinking of a leper. But when Jesus talked to him and came up to him and, and touched him, he felt the affirmation and he felt the healing. So now he can go in looking for a job saying, you know what? Jesus, the Messiah touched me. And so therefore, I'm going to go into this job interview with my shoulders back, my head held high. Leprosy is gone, but my leper's mindset is also gone too. You see, it's possible. That's why the end result is not just physical healing. That's a symptom of a deeper issue. Some people are set free from physical infirmities, but there's no dealing of the internal issues. That's that sin that uh, manifested externally. This man now can engage society because, hey, the Messiah touched me. I must be worthy because of his worth. Where before, if he's cleansed of healing, he still has that thinking inside of him because that's how he grew up his whole life. So, again, it was external, but it well as it was internal. Do you see that? But how did it happen? It all started at a worship service. It says, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him. Lord, if you're willing, heal me. I'm sure Jesus from a distance could have said, like a Benny Hinn service, be healed. Just don't come by me. Right? We have no idea. One time Jesus said, go and wash. Right? We'd see that from the Old Testament. Go and wash. Elijah didn't even go go outside and greet. Maybe this man knew the scriptures. Where with the prophet, he commissioned, didn't even go out to greet the Syrian general, but told, told him to go wash. Maybe Jesus would have performed a miracle in like manner. Like, okay, don't come around me. But like Elijah, I'll issue a word. Why don't you go cleanse yourself? But no, Jesus doesn't do that. He actually go and engages, comes in close proximity where no one else did. And had an engagement that caused a healing that come to his, his heart. Do you see that? 
This is the power of it. And this former healing was greater than the external healing because this healing actually brought fruitfulness in his life from here on out when he engages society at large. You can be cleansed but still be a dysfunctional person. This is why I say when you come to a worship, listen, when you come to a worship service, God will deal with your issues. But God only means business with those who mean business with him. Seek the Lord and he'll be found. He's not going to be found by people who don't seek him. Come on, are you here? We know many people were healed through faith. Woman with the issue of blood. Faith has made you well. Blind Bartimaeus, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. This particular man, he's coming. I just want to know, are you willing to do it? Your power is not in question. Your willingness is. And in a worship service, he got the answer. And it was a good answer. And everyone says, oh, Jesus is so good. Mm, Want to cry. <laughs> all of us truly are lepers. Don't just think, oh, he's a leper, bad man. No, we were all unworthy. And he's chosen us. He's anointed us. He's called us. He's put his gifts inside of us. Man, I want to be a person. And I'm sure you feel that you, you share the same sentiment that, Lord, get glory in and through my life. Let it be all of you and none of me. And everyone says, Matthew chapter nine, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him. Stop right there. You think, oh, this is insignificant. Some people just read over this. I want to remind you what the culture of the Pharisees and those who attended the synagogue. If you remember, there was one blind man that he healed from birth and he was harangued by the Pharisees. How did you get healed? Tells the story again. And he was berated. And they were looking for an opportunity to say Jesus so that they could excommunicate them from the synagogue. You remember the parents of the blind man. They were just looking for an opportunity. That's why he said, let him speak for himself because they didn't want to be excommunicated. What's my point? This man is a ruler. That means he's a synagogue ruler. And the culture, the popular culture of the religious society was hostile towards Jesus. So when this man comes and he's a ruler, he's not a leper. He's not someone who has a, de you know, a, a demonized daughter. She died. There's, there's no outward issue. There's no, he's not blind. So he seems to be a righteous man. Yet what does he do? He falls down and he worships Jesus. He did something that was actually countercultural, counter spiritual cultural. So that when Jesus saw a synagogue ruler, he's probably wondering, okay, is this a guy who's going to give me a hard time? No, he falls down on his knees, which anybody in the synagogue or at least recognizing him would say, what is this he's doing? We know the Pharisees don't like this guy. He must be one of those. He must be of that party right there. Everything was an indicator that he didn't care. Why? Because he was willing to offer himself in a worship service. And this was his reasonable service. And what is the consequence? Watch this. The ruler came and worshiped him, saying, my daughter has just died. But come lay your hand on her and she will live. To have strong faith, you have to be a person who's a worshiper. We live in a culture that wants the mechanics of faith, but doesn't want and understand the motivation of faith. 
In order for that to live strong inside of you, in order to live in the supernatural, you have to be a person that understands uh, worship and that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Notice what ends up happening. Lay your hand out. She will live. In other words, I know you can do this. I, I understand that. Obviously, he understood everything that was going on. He didn't have that leper's mindset like, are you willing? He goes, I know you can do this. And, and, and I don't care what all my friends and other synagogue rulers. And when I go to the parties, I don't care what they say, but I'm going to come right down here and I'm going to kneel and I'm going to worship you. I need your help right now. I know this isn't popular what I'm doing right now. I understand the religious community. They don't like what's being said and what I'm doing right now, but I know you can do it. Yes. He understood and notice what it says. So Jesus rose and followed him like he just looked at him. Okay, let's go. You remember the woman that was Syrophoenician who had the demonized woman, uh, demonized daughter? Remember how even the disciples are like, could you go tell her to go away? She's bothering us and puts her off and puts her off. He ignores her at first. Then he says, you know, you're a dog. And I mean, he just he berates her until she worships. I'm going to show you that in the next one. But my point in this right here is Jesus is like, okay, here's a worshiper. Let's go. It wasn't faith. It was faith working with worship. There first had to be worship in order for there to be strong faith. It's not faith first. It's worship first. It's a life of worship. This is what, listen very carefully. Worship is a lifestyle, not an event. Let me say that again. Worship is a lifestyle. When Jesus said you know, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me first, deny yourself just for one moment. Pick up your cross just on a Sunday morning and then come follow me. Um, following him requires you always to denying yourself. And oh, so it's a lifestyle, not an event. Worship is a lifestyle, not an event. And believe me, it is an experience. But it's more of my reasonable service. Are you seeing this? We want a house full of worshipers. True worshipers, not fake worshipers. So Jesus rose and followed him. And so did his disciples. No qualms, nothing. Okay, I'll do it. Because you're a worshiper. You get it. Matthew chapter 15, 22, 24. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region, cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O God, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed, but he answered her not a word. He ignored her. His disciples came, urging him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he ignores her and then says, I'm not sent to her. Again, she's a Canaanite. She's Syrophoenician. She's a half-breed. Okay, but notice, watch this. I love this. Then she came and worshiped him. <laughs> when your prayers and your petitions fail, like they're coming out of your mouth and they're falling to the ground, come to the place of worship and you'll sense your prayers ascend like an incense. You know what I'm talking about. There are times you don't even know how to pray, what to pray, and you're spittering out. And it feels like your words are coming and like they're falling out at your feet. Then there are times that arises forth from you by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's usually because of the motivation you made a decision to offer a reasonable service and become a living sacrifice to him. 
when you come to closure. This is why I say, that especially in the charismatic world, they're always chasing anointings. Most anointings don't come because you chase them. There is that aspect of following and learning and impartation and laying on of hands and all those things. I'm not negating that. Not negating that at all. But some anointings come because you make a decision. And we like to live in the valley of opinions. Well, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. When Jesus made a decision, not my will, but your will be done, all of a sudden, boom, angels arrived and strengthened him and an anointing came upon him to follow through. Why? Because he made a decision. Charismatics love the easy way. Just lay hands on me. Let me fall down. Let me feel it because I'm me-centric in my theology and I like to feel an experience. But they're weak in their duty and understanding I'm a servant. What is God telling me? And they talk themselves out of it in their soul, spiritual realities. Amen? Can we go a little bit further? I know we're running a little bit late, but I don't feel the juice has ended yet. It says, yes, Lord, but even little dogs eat the crumbs. Oh, excuse me. Lord, help me. But he answered, it's not good to take your little friend, throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master. Then Jesus answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be so as you desired. Listen very carefully. People that are true worshipers are not easily offended. Why? Because they're dead. Then she came and worshiped, Lord, help me. But he answered and makes the most hostile statement possible out of all of them. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. He's calling her a dog. Now, I can't believe it. I actually fell down at my knees and worshiped you. I ain't, I ain't coming back to this church no more. I can't believe he said that to me. I am shocked at the level of immaturity in the church. Not this church. At large of people who profess to be Christians at how easily fickle emotionally they are and how, how easily people are offended by the silliest things. And the problem is, is sometimes as pastors, I feel, this is my opinion, I could be wrong, we accommodate that and we don't deal with that and say, you know what, you just need to grow up. There's always going to be an opportunity to be offended. Grow up. I mean, you're not three years old, maybe three years old in the spirit, but you've claimed the name of Christ for the last 30 years. You need to add a zero to that age. This woman is not, what would you do? Let's put you in her sandals or in her shoes, proverbially speaking. What would you do? You're ignored. Then he tells you, I'm not called to you, which means you aren't worthy to be able to receive it because I'm just simply not called to you. And she still goes after. Then she falls down, worships him and then says, well, I'm not called to, you know, to little dogs. You're a little dog. How would you respond to that? This woman flips it and we see that she says, yes, Lord, but even still calls her Lord. So she still calls him Lord, not you jerk. Why? Because she's a true worshiper. She's not easily offended. She knows she has her eye on the prizes. My daughter's demonized and I don't care how you berate me. I know you got answers and I'm not going to be easily offended by you. Yes, Lord. But even little dogs. Yes, I am a little dog. 
But even little dogs eat from the crumbs from the back. Jesus is taken back. Wow, this, this, at this point, I, this is my personal opinion. I could be wrong with this. He was testing her worship. He was testing the motivations of her worship. Are you just trying to milk me? So I'm going to just give it one more shot. I ignored you. Then I said I wasn't called to you. Now you responded, right? That's good. But let's test this. I'm not sent to dogs. No, but Lord, I am a dog. All right. She's a worshiper. She's a worshiper. Got to give her what she wants. I'm good. I know it. And she just proves she's a worshiper. She's positioned herself. You see how faith and being a worshiper works. It's not just the mechanics of faith that you just kept coming, coming. It's because she was a worshiper. Mm. No. Last one, quickly. It goes on to say, then Jesus answered, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And the daughter was healed from that very hour. John chapter 4. Can we go just a little bit further? And then we're actually going to pick this up in my new sermon series next week. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers say true worshipers, which means if there's true worshipers or fake worshipers. Notice it says, we'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So notice that the Father's actually looking for a certain type of person. Who is it? A worshiper, not a fake one. Now watch this. It says God is spirit and his worshipers must say must. must. That means there's an implied obligation upon you. It says, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in two. Two ingredients to be a true worshiper, in spirit and in truth. Just four quick points, and then we're going to pick this up and we're going to unpack it more. Number one, worship isn't a place but a realm. Worship isn't in a place but a realm. Mountain, temple, neither. It's a realm. Spirit world. By which you commune with heart motivations and intentions. So again, number one, worship isn't in a place but a realm. Number two. Beware of making worship about a place instead of your pledge. Beware of making worship about a place. Oh, I can't wait till I get to that worship service. Emily, when she sings, oh, I just feel the goosebumps all over. And you're waiting till the next Sunday. Instead of understanding God wants to have worship service with you all the time. Instead of making it about what? Your pledge. Because it's you presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. So it's about your pledge and about your oath. I'm, I really still am old school. Mean what you say and say what you mean. That's what my dad always used to teach me. Boy, he didn't say boy. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Okay. Number three. Beware of making worship about your ethnic and or cultural preferences. If you strip away your ethnic and cultural preferences, do you still worship in a realm? I don't know. I just, I don't like that style of music. Yeah, when I was in India, listening to some of the music that was there, it's not my cultural preference. But do I have the ability to enter into the realm regardless of cultural preferences being met? And so when you make it all about cultural preferences, then you're actually proven to be a person of mixture because the Holy Ghost may come outside of your cultural preferences. 
and come to speak to you if those things aren't being met. So you make it about culture. He wants to make it about a realm. But if we always have to have kind of this cultural thing, that's this cultural apparatus, it can inhibit us from entering into that realm. Again, let me note and state during first service, boom, it went out, right? Pop. But people still worship. They lifted up their voice. And I actually sensed the anointing coming from the congregation because I actually heard the congregation because I'm usually hearing everybody on stage through these speakers. And I, of course, I'm hearing the anointing and, 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 and you guys ministering up here on stage. But to hear all of them listening was beautiful. Okay. Even though cultural preferences were being met because the sound went out. Does that make sense? So, again, kudos to you. Uh, if you strip away your ethnic and cultural preferences, do you still worship in the realm? Don't let your identity be wrapped up in your place, but in a realm. Okay, this is just our style. This is just our gig. There's nothing wrong with that. And listen, there are a myriad of very genres and different things like that. And we'll talk more about this in the future. There are certain spirits with certain types of music that I found out. And different types of things like that. There are certain attacks and that type of a thing. And so we want to be sensitive to the spiritual realm when it comes to praise and worship. It should not be predominated by culture. It needs to be predominated by that realm. Does that make sense? Lastly, beware of the conundrum of either making it only in the spirit or only in the truth. What he said, he's looking for worshipers that will worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Sometimes we have people that are way over into the spirit and beyond. And there's not much truth there. That's why you have a lot of mixture because they don't allow, allow truth of God's word to come into that area. And so when there's a lot of Holy Spirit, sometimes a lot of things that aren't Holy Spirit pop out. And I come from a Pentecostal background, so we have more of that where you can get into some worlds and it's like, Oh, wow, that's, you know, you're kind of wondering, like, I know the Holy Spirit was working and I could sense that, but there was a whole lot of other things that weren't Holy Spirit. Come on, are you here? And then you can go all the way over into truth, but you can go beyond truth to where, and sometimes those who are, some of you who come from a liturgical background, right? Mighty fortresses are God. Right. But what ends up happening is you go to truth and beyond it. So there's no spirit. I like if the Holy Ghost came into some means like that, they wouldn't even know the Holy Ghost walked in. Just give me truth. And it becomes academic and becomes religious. And the problem is, is it's not just truth, but it's all their traditions that come with it. Right. And the theology of the songs is the theology of what God was speaking at that generation 400 years ago. Right. Instead of, OK, what's God saying now to us? How is, what is he doing in our generation? Just like uh, the book of Acts with regards to David, he served his generation. We need to serve our generation. So that's going truth and beyond two different extremes, but how many know they don't mutually exclude each other. We have them both. We worship in spirit as well as the truth. So we're people of the spirit, but yet we also embrace the truth of God hard. We embrace both. We don't just hold to the truth and say, we don't know about all that Holy Spirit stuff. Or we don't go to the Holy Spirit and say, everything's the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot of times, there's, I go, I've been to some of these things, like the token, the ghost and all that stuff. It was like, okay, that wasn't the Holy Ghost. That's mixture right there. There's a Kundalini spirit manifesting out of that person right there. That person's got witchcraft. That person needs deliverance. And, you know, a quarter of the congregation needs devils cast out of them. Yeah, the Holy Ghost was moving. But the problem is, is there was no discernment to say that not everything was the Holy Ghost. 
Just like Jesus, there was right. Jesus is sitting there. He's teaching in the synagogue, and all of a sudden, the anointing's there. It's upon him, and all of a sudden, someone cries out. When the anointing's there, things come out. You wouldn't say, "Oh, that guy's moving by the Holy Ghost." No, he's screaming and he's rolling and frothing on the ground. That's not the Holy Ghost, my friend. The problem is, is we fail to have discernment in the house of God. So we say, it's all Holy Ghost. No, it's not. The Holy Ghost is there. But the reason why the Holy Ghost is there, see all these things, these are all popping out because the Holy Ghost is there. The problem is, is as leaders, you're not taking care of those things. You're just saying, oh, that, hallelujah, that's great. You know, someone's roaring on the line. Roar! Well, you know, Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah. That's a scripture for that. No, the whole family right there is growling and rolling on the floor. That's not the Holy Ghost, my friend. The Holy Ghost was there, and that's the reason why it came out. But we say it's all the Holy Ghost. It's called no discernment. That's why we fail to have discernment in the church today. We say it's all the devil, or no, it's all God. No, we judge things. But you can only do that if you're a worshiper, and God opens up your eyes and you see things as they really are. And everyone says, oh, I've gone too long. Why don't you stand to your feet? Praise and worship team, why don't you come up? We're going to talk more about these things and talk about flows and talk about praise and worship. I, I kind of almost feel like this is going to be like an internship or something like that. So for those of you who watch us online, be prepared for Freedom House internship. We're going to talk about these things. It's going to be good talking about flows. Again, let me remind you, if you've got a good sermon series, again, we talked about the heart. How many have really appreciated having the right heart motivations? Now we want to get into the flows and into the anointing and the ministry and look at what it was in heaven, what it is now, what it was prior uh, when, when Lucifer was there, etc., and begin to look at the dynamics. Amen. We want to be a people who are worshipers that have both these things, heart, right heart motivations, but we also with our lips give him praise, but it comes from a heart that is truly a worshiper because we've offered ourselves is a reasonable, this is our reasonable sacrifice. It's our reasonable service. And everyone says. You've been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, FHUS.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.